this program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with the clips today from YouTube user 19%, Throwing Shade, Citizen Radio, Jim Hightower, The Young Turks, Counterspin, and Dan Savage. And a note of warning that some views expressed in today's show are those of opinionated women and do not necessarily reflect that of the dominant patriarchal culture. Hey, Beyonce, guess what? You're a liar, and I'm calling you out. Beyonce is selling you a bill of goods, and I'm here to tell you not to buy it. Her new song is called Girls Who Run the World. I don't think it's right that she's out there promulgating historical inaccuracies to impressionable young women, imparting the false belief that they run the world, thereby lulling them into a false sense of achievement and distracting them from doing the work it takes to actually run the world. Which, by the way, I don't think female world domination is the goal. I think the end game should be a socially egalitarian society. Girls really run the world? First of all, women are universally dominated. There is not a society known where women as a group have decision-making power over men as a group. Who will run the world? Girls. A better question would be, name the only American minority group that actually constitutes the majority of the population. Girls. 50.7% of the U.S. population is female, but sociologists consider women a minority group because of their position relative to men, the dominant group. There are things called women's issues, which apparently are a special interest. A problem that affects half of the population of your country is not a special interest, okay? It's a big interest. It's a regular interest. So, Beyonce, you really want to try to convince me that girls run the world? Is that why 90% of rape victims are female? And similarly, 95% of domestic abuse victims are female. According to that statistic, we're not even running our domiciles, let alone the globe. You'd agree that something should be done about that, right? So let me tell you, in South Carolina in 2005, cockfighting became a felony. That same year, there was a bill to make domestic violence a felony. Didn't pass. So apparently, if you let two chickens peck at each other for your entertainment, you're a felon. But if you punch your wife in the teeth, not so much. If women have such power and influence, then why are female fetuses in China and India selectively aborted? And before ultrasound was widely available for sex detection, you just had to have the baby, and then if it was a girl, you just kill it. So, girl power. I wish I were making this up. Let's examine some of the lyrics. Make your check come at they neck. Indeed, go to work and make your check, but be aware that your check is going to be significantly smaller than your male counterparts because at all ages and at all education levels, American women are paid only 78% of what a man is paid for doing the same work, and that is a huge improvement from 1980 when it was only 60%. Some of them men think they freak this like we do, but no, they don't. I actually agree with you there, Beyonce. Men certainly do not freak this the way our culture demands that women do. Men aren't objectified in the same way or to the same magnitude that women are, if at all. Female sexuality is for sale. It's profitable. And another thing, anecdotally, every issue of Cosmopolitan magazine is about freaking it. Women are sent messages like, first, take off his pants. But don't sleep with him because if you do, then you're skanky. What am I to do? The message that the media sends women is like, be really, really sexy, but not too sexy. It's a phenomenon known as a virgin whore dichotomy. Go briefly read about it if you want to. Blank him a pants. So indeed, Beyonce, women have a very unique and contradictory course to navigate when it comes to freaking it in this country. Disrespect us? No, they won't. Yes, they will. And they do, often. I'd like to defer to a very famous doctor on this subject, Dr. Dre. He says, and I quote, ain't but and tricks. There you have it. Listen, Mrs. Carter, you should know this firsthand. When your husband isn't busy with his money, cash, or 
You still got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Of the most popular rap songs in recent memory, I am hard pressed to think of one that doesn't have any reference to women as some derogatory name. Not to mention like workplace sexual harassment or cat calling and all other manner of disrespectful things. I think I need a barber. None of these can fade me. Don't call me a bitch. It doesn't make me feel empowered. We have this thing in our society whereby it's somehow okay to do and say sexist things because somehow they're not sexist anymore since women have so much power. And I think the media is partially to blame for this. Yes, it's nice to see female doctors and lawyers on TV and Gina Davis even played a female president in that one show that got canceled. And yes, lady humans can vote and work outside the home and all sorts of other things that weren't part of the status quo in past eras. But a simple survey of reality will reveal that we don't run anything. And pretending we do will get us nowhere. I think not only is it not helpful, it's actually harmful. Like these messages of girl power and art and music and movies and all other sorts of media are useless unless there's actual work being done behind them. A shift in values, policy changes, and changes in perception. There just needs to be a huge shift. And that's going to take some time. The sporadic campaigns of girl power are really getting the job done. Remember the late 90s era of girl power circa Spice Girls? A group of ladies that told us we could be sporty or... We could be scary. We could be posh. Or we could dye our hair red like ginger. Or we could be babies. Awesome. Because that's just what women need more of. Infantilization. Women have made great strides towards equality, but we're not there yet. So it's a little premature to be making victory anthems. If you're at all interested by anything I said in this video, or realize that some of this stuff I talked about isn't really fair, then you should look into it for yourself. And if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, I highly recommend this book. It's called Full Frontal Feminism by Jessica Valencia. An excellent, excellent book. Or you could just go to our website, which is called feministing.com, which is dangerously close to the word fisting and makes me feel, frankly, uncomfortable to say it. And that concludes this video. Bye, everyone. You went to Princeton, right? I did, because I'm a prince. Oh, you are a prince. I am. That's Thank the you. only people they let in. They There's one question, are you a prince, yes or no? Yeah, and it's really easy to fool them. All you have to do is show up with a crown and like just put a cut the sleeves off a bathrobe and tie it around your neck, and like they admit you. Just right, right to, they admit you right to Straight the loony to band. learning 101. Oh, okay. Okay, so Susan Patton, she is a, um, she's a, she's a woman of distinguishedness. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. She is a, she is a Princeton alum and she wrote a letter that the Daily Princetonian printed and posted online. Say things with more P's. Uh, the, Susan Patton presented Princeton Daily with a post that they then printed and posted online for people to ponder. I love it. Okay, she, this fucking thing shut their website down. Wow. It went, it, 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 it was kindling on the fire of women's problems, basically. Making things, you know how they say mo money, mo problems? Yes. Well, let's change Do that. Do more people say that than me? One more, yeah, one more person says it than you. Oh. Hmm. Two people say it total. Okay. This is mo Susan Patton mo problems. I understand. Okay. She wrote a letter, basically it was an advice letter to women going to Princeton about 
you know, stuff they should be focusing on while they are doing their time at Princeton. That's right. what they call it when you go to college. Sure. So I'm going to read you a little bit of it. We're just going to dissect it a little bit. Can't um wait. So she says, for years, decades, really. Well, she's in New Jersey, so I read, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. For years, decades, really, we've been bombarded with advice on professional advancement, breaking through that glass ceiling, and achieving work-life balance. We can figure that out. We are Princeton women. If anyone can overcome professional obstacles, it will be our brilliant, resourceful, very well-educated selves. Sure. Okay, so right. She's I'm like, on board. She's like, sisters are, are doing, doing it for themselves. themselves. And then she's like, who sang that? And this one was like, Annie Lennox. She's like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, but there was a, that was a cover, actually. The first people who sang it were the... It wasn't the Point- Weather Girls. Pointer Sisters? Maybe? No, not the Pointer. Do you uh, like at the beginning of... Um, uh, it's raining men when the weather girls go. Ooh, uh, I don't remember that. They part. do. They like get ready for the weather. It's oh, so that, crazy. that's real dedication yeah. to that that pre sketch. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. So she so she said that. Uh, okay, so she's like, okay, well, you know, girls, you're going to a good school. You're getting a good education. We can take care of ourselves. Good message. She's saying you guys already know that. I'm going to fucking drop the real truth bombs on that ass. Can't wait. Here's what she says. That's what someone should say when they come on someone's butt. Here's a real truth, truth bombs bomb on, on your ass. ass. I think people do say that. Oh. At least the people I'm recording. Well, if you're a liar, then don't say it. For most of you, the cornerstone of your future and happiness will be inextricably linked to the man you marry. And you will never again have this concentration of men who are worthy of you. Here's what nobody's telling you. Find a husband on campus before you graduate. Wow. So that's a truth bomb. I mean, that is a truth. So basically, that's a truth bomb. What is you she know, saying like, there? Nobody gives that advice. No, right. nobody in the whole United States is ever like, you should find a, mar- a man to marry to complete you. It's like not what people say. So it's like, I feel like refreshing like, that she would say something like this. Oh, sure. Yeah. I feel like this, this is like missing pages from that movie, Mona Lisa Smile. Oh, this is ripped out right out. This is the Mona Lisa Smile pre, pre like this is like episode one of Mona Lisa Smile. And but yeah. but then like Mona Lisa Smile is actually episode two or is like Star Wars. This one. is the prequel. Yeah, this is the prequel. She goes on to say so both of her kids go to Princeton. Her two sons, okay. Uh-huh. Her one of her sons uh, married a prince, another prince, Princetonian, and then she says, my youngest son is a junior, and the universe of women he can marry is limitless. Men regularly marry women who are younger, less intelligent, less educated. Smart women can't and shouldn't marry men who aren't at least their intellectual equal. As Princeton women, we have almost priced ourselves out of the market. Oh, man. Okay. So she's saying basically like, well... It's kind of a double-edged sword to be a smart woman because you can't ever go beneath you. You can only go yourself or higher. But what she's weirdly saying, yes, but she's also weirdly insulting her kids at the same time because she's like, Princeton women, you're actually too smart for these guys who are too stupid to recognize the quality of women at this institution. Right. Including my youngest son, who so like, didn't, who's not married to any of you. Right, so snag one now before they get hip to the trick of marrying someone stupid? Well, she also, she does go on to, exp- she's not just going to leave girls hanging. Like, how do I right. do this? How do I, how do I snag this dick? Yeah. She's not going to do that. She goes on to say, as freshman women, you have four classes of men to choose from. Every year, you lose the men in the senior class, and you become older than the class of incoming freshman men. 
So, by the time you're our senior, you basically have only the men in your own class to choose from. And frankly, they now have four classes of women to choose from. Maybe you should have been a little nicer to these guys when you were freshmen. You're fucking disgusting. Well, here's the last sentence. If I had daughters, this is what I would be telling them. Well, thank God you don't have any dollars. And P.S., <laughs> I feel fucking sorry for her sons that she's even delving out this information. This yeah. is bad for every gender. I don't really know. I'm trying to think, like, who actually thinks like that. Like, do guys, when they go to... I, I don't even know. Would a senior girl in First college of all, even no want one, Would anyone want to date a freshman? My personal I think it's weird to be 21 and date someone 18. My sister got married at 21. Guess when she got divorced? 22. Yeah. I don't know. I know one couple. I know one couple who met in college who are still married. They're super happy. But Me and Jody Sweeten. You and Jody Sweeten. Well, you because you guys had that meth addiction thing. We did. I, but I don't know anybody. I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible, but that is absolutely not what you should be also, doing to in be college. Worrying, I mean, at that point, what you're trying to do is get an education and start the thought process of a career. I and mean, the like, fact of the matter, would you be thinking about that marriage she would at tell 18? a senior in in college that she's too old is so upsetting. That is so much. That is that is more projection than MGM has ever seen in the entire. The hundred years they've been doing movies. Honestly, like, this woman should be writing for, like, I don't know, Teen Vogue or something. I mean, like, it just is like, what are you talking about? No, she shouldn't be. A, why would this be printed in the first place at one of the biggest Ivy League institutions? Yeah. Places where, a place where people of... I mean, top three, Harvard, Yale, Princeton. This is a perfect example. First of all, I'm going to admit it. I have a chip on my shoulder about rich people and elitism. Yeah. This is a pure example of how someone can come out of a of a of a very um respected um old American institution and be so fucking dumb dumb. Oh yeah, just your head up your ass at every turn. So 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 she That's yeah, really she would, So then so then there was this whole hullabaloo. Everyone was like this is not the advice we need to be giving women. This is this is so fear. This is fear mongering. It is. Uh, there were lots of points made that I'll just regurgitate, which I agree with. Did she respond? Why there are lesbians? A. Yeah. There are lesbians. B. Um, you can date a guy who's younger than you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Um, C. If a guy can't appreciate you for your mental abilities, then don't. Then you don't need to be with that guy. Yeah. And also. Who the fuck knows who they are when they're in college? No. Why Nobody. should you? You don't want to be with... The, I mean, I wouldn't think you would want to be with the same person that you were with in college. I mean, like, the people I know who have done that and who have been successful have taken breaks in between. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then they came back to each other. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I I can't imagine having that kind of pressure. I Hopefully no one really took her seriously. Oh, by the way... But it does always, like, plant a kernel of something. Get good grades, too. P.S. Yeah. Postscript. That's yeah. also important. And also see that movie, P.S. I Love You. Oh, Hilary Swank. Hilary Swank and romantic comedies were something made to be together. You really worked in a lot of romantic comedies from the early 2000s. They were made for each other. So she, so she then wrote a letter on Huffington Post, kind of a rebuttal. And the first thing she said was, no, I've been asked a million times, was this satire? No, it was not. So <laughs> then she goes on to say, I understand that this can be seen as retrogressive, but for those women who aspire to what used to be thought of as a traditional life with the home and family, there's almost no ink addressing personal fulfillment outside the workplace. Bullshit. 
she's never ever watched something by Sheryl Sandberg, which is all I watch every day. I don't watch TV. I just watch Sheryl Sandberg. Sure. Who is she's basically like you can have a work life balance. You can have all this. We have to get men on board and we have to get women on board and we can all have this. It can work. Something I read something the other day that like there was some recent poll that two thirds of women want a family and want to work, which is the highest number it's ever been. Believe me. So if people want this balance, this balance can be achieved. I don't look. I, I don't, agree. It takes the help from everyone. It makes but. me so. It makes me filled with anxiety. Even though, like, I know this woman's not an authority figure. I know that she represents a lot of people's views. And the fact of the matter is, I do freak out all the time about like, how the fuck am I going to have kids? I can barely support myself. How am I going to do this stuff? I'm single. I mean, I have a boyfriend, but you know, I live by myself, yeah. and like, I I worry about that stuff. And so, like. The fact and that you would, would like yeah. you would like throw gasoline on this art this fire instead of saying no 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 how you can should we not help throw gasoline on a fire no you shouldn't that's what I'm saying oh yeah because that's she's doing actually that. very dangerous but don't you think like what what a more constructive albeit less viral view to say how can we help women have a career have a fulfilling life have a fulfilling marriage and be a good parent. Because it's also not being taught. Men men aren't being taught like how can you be a good stay at home dad? How many people do you see? I mean, even at work, like I see people who are married who are like at the office till eight playing video games, and I'm like, you don't even have kids. Yeah. And you don't want to be there. Yeah. It's bananas to me. Yeah. I think everyone needs everyone needs to be schooled and not and not by Susan Patton. So anyway, she goes. I think I've got the real reason why all this happened. I can't wait. At the end, she says, I am divorced. I did not marry a Princeton man. I wish I had. Okay, so she absolutely so, just doesn't even know what she's talking here about. Here we go. No, she's what she's doing is she's talking to her younger self. This is self. like her fantasy. She's talking to her younger self in the form of this letter, and she's trying to rewrite history because she's divorced. She's getting a divorce, which, by the way, is a painful, awful process, and I can't imagine doing it at her age. Not unless you're doing it for fun. Oh, I, a lot. You know how you do like those, those divorce vacations? You go have fun divorces yeah. and stuff? Yeah. yeah. She thinks she's made a mistake by not marrying a Princeton man, which, by the way, boiling anyone down by their credentials of whatever school they went to is step one wrong like that's totally. not gonna if she marries a princeton man if let's say this let's say she went to princeton but she married a harvard guy she'd probably send a letter into harvard going uh, harvard women marry princeton guys yeah like it, there's no there's it's based on her own ob- of subjective idea about what did and did not go right in her life This program can only do what it does because of the members who support the show for as little as $5 a month. And as thanks for the support, members now get access to bonus content, including additional voicemails and clips that didn't fit in the big show, and additional stories and discussion topics from me. Plus, I've organized a full archive of the show, including a curated selection of my favorite past episodes, as well as a collection of my absolute favorite radio clips from all sorts of places, all that now available only to members. If you're already a member and want access to all this great content, draw me an email at j at bestoftheleft.com so I can get you set up. And if you're not yet a member, you can sign up now at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
this is something that I could see guys getting a little me about, but it's uh, it's written from a lady. You're not a lady, so deal with this. Cool? Uh, me? Yeah, I'm fine. All right, here we go. So please stop telling me I don't have to, quote, dress up for work. Uh, this is in the powder room section of Jezebel. Is this the name of the writer? Burt Reynolds is my spirit guide. <laughs> and then there's a gif of Burt Reynolds laughing and taking his hat off. Well, let's just say yes, because that's amazing. Okay. So it's kind of short. Should I just read it? Sure. Okay. Hey, coworker dude. Thanks for sticking your head in my door every time you walk by to make a comment about my outfit. It's really awesome that on top of all the other shit work I have to do every day here, I also have to stop and answer your question about what I'm wearing. So once and for all... Here is everything you need to know. Nope, there is nothing I got, quote, all dressed up for. We don't have any big meetings. No one from corporate is coming. Chill. Hey, and I appreciate the whole welcome wagon thing, but you can stop telling me that it's okay for me to dress comfortable and that I don't have to dress up for anyone around here. It's great that no one in the office is worried about how I dress, although you seem to kind of be. I appreciate what you're doing here. I'm not mad at you, but here's the mind-blowing thing, dude. I am not dressing up for you or anyone else in this office. Guess what? I'm dressing this way for myself. I dress this way because I love how I look and more importantly, how I feel, period. Take a moment and let that sink in. I know it's hard. It probably goes against all the crap you've been force fed to believe about women your whole life. It's cool. I'll wait. And what's that? It's okay for me to be comfortable? Hey, that's awesome. But guess what? I am comfortable in my heels and dresses and skirts and blouses and all the other things you tell me I don't, quote, have to wear. You may be comfortable when you head home and throw on a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. Maybe I'm comfortable going home and putting on a ball gown. If I felt comfortable dressing up as Batman and coming to work, I'd probably fucking do that too. And stop telling me I I don't have to wear heels. Stop telling me I don't have to wear those shoes around here because no one will notice anyway. I'm not really interested in who notices my shoes or not. My shoes may look painful and unnecessary to you, but believe me, my feet are fine. I didn't force myself into these shoes, crying in fits of agony and pain, just for the hopes that maybe you or someone else would be swept away in a cloud of shoegasm joy. Look, don't worry about my feet, dude. Unless you are a podiatrist, why are we even having this conversation? I know that you probably think women do each and everything on their bodies just to lure you men into our web so we can trap them into giving us babies and Neiman Marcus credit cards, but surprise, I don't think about how you're going to react or what you think when I am in my ridiculously huge walk-in closet to pick something to wear. I wear what I wear because I wear what I like, period, the end. Are we cool now, dude? Hey, that's great. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. I like I, the question, like, what are you dressed up for? Like, she was going to be like, you, and then tear off her clothes. <laughs> uh, but it's a very simple rule, right, for for the gentleman listening um don't tell women how to look you know yeah Uh, and this goes for there was a a movement a while ago i I don't even know if movement's the right word but i'm sure very well-meaning guys maybe were making um these images and posting them online where they're like ladies you're beautiful you don't have to wear makeup yeah and it's that false nice guy bullshit. It's what where I it's call... like you're still telling women how to look. If they want to wear makeup, if they want to dress up, that's their own business. And you don't have to fucking make little comments. Yeah, it's what I call a sneaky dicked nice guy. Right. And what they do is, well, they see everybody else going, hey, you look hot. You look really nice in that outfit, blah, blah, blah. Which also most of the time is, you know, toolish. And they go, well, I got to stand out. So I'm going to be like the nice guy and be like, hey... You're better than that. 
I recognize you for who you really are. Right. Your like, inner beauty. <laughs> I if you took those heels off, guess what? I'd still be here for you. <laughs> Close your eyes. Wipe off that eyeliner. Open them. Do you know who you see? A friend. <laughs> and it's me, your coworker, Bob. Yeah. Like, and I just- mean like the men's rights activist uh idiots are always like, Oh, so now I can't tell you you look nice. <laughs> Literally no feminist writer says that. Like that you can't be like, hey, you look really nice to a lady in a very, you know, non-creepy way. I've said that to my friends in front of Allie and what? nobody, my feminist friends. Right. And we're, no one's just like, love me for my mind. Yeah. What we're talking about are like the really creepy, aggressive guys who are like, hey, I want to fuck you in the sh- like in the street. Yeah, like that, one's, that one's not good. Or the the creepier, some might argue, uh, version, which is the nice guy version of, yeah, you don't have to dress that way. I'd love you even if you were, you know. Well, especially when you do it it every day and especially when it's phrased that way, like, what are you dressing up for? That, like, is such a great microcosm of sort of how we think of women. Yeah, it never even occurs to him. It's like for herself. That you could be dressed away for you. Because she feels good when she does that. Yeah. She has to be, like, performing for someone. Right. And, like, I mean, here's the thing, like, now, uh, now that I'm getting older and more secure with my body as a man, um... I almost <laughs> spit tea across the room. In Penny's face. Yeah. I would have gone in Penny's face. <laughs> that would have been epic. And then she would have attacked Debbie, <laughs> and then I would have dropped the mic and been like, you love each other! Stop <laughs> it! Um, but yeah, I've literally, like, I've always been just, like, uh, a funny t-shirt and jeans guy. And, like, recently, like, I've actually bought clothes that fit me. And, like, I found myself, like, as a dude being, like, I look kind of cool or like I look nice and like it just makes me feel better. So it's not even just like a chick thing. Like it makes me feel better where I'm like, oh, I actually look kind of good. Like I get my hair cut more than twice a year now. No one would think that looking at a guy who's dressed up like what's he dressed up for? I know. Who's he trying to impress? Hey, hey, there's slacks. Yeah. (laughs) You got a big date today. Right. And like, (laughs) um, or no one would be like, no one would be like, hey, you don't have to dress up for me, kiddo. You know what I mean? I think you're naturally beautiful. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would be really weird to have that conversation with a guy. Hey, are those, are those sneakers But for women, it's almost like, hey, are you okay? Do right. you need to talk about something? Is your husband hitting you? Do you hate yourself? <laughs> yeah, like, no, I just, I think my eyes look nice when I watch, wear mascara. Uh, are you an alcoholic? <laughs> <laughs> they have like an intervention at the office. You're beautiful, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so you know I, I i hope that the dudes especially the dudes who listen to this show who are for the most part great feminists and uh and dudes um even if they heard the first part of the letter and got like you know nervous because let's say you've done that before look let me also say this there is a chance that you've done that before and you didn't mean to be a creep right and now does that mean that you have to shun yourself from feminism and that you can't listen to our show anymore uh no what that does mean is that i hope you heard the second part of that conversation and you go and here's what you do ah fuck all right yeah just and then you just don't do it again just don't do it anymore it doesn't mean you have to be like so i'm a bad person you're only a bad person if you keep doing it once you know that you're wrong for doing it right exactly Um, even though even though if you do do it you you'd look good if you did it in makeup or not in makeup
Little Eric Cantor, the prancing political prissy who serves as the GOP's House Majority Leader, apparently thinks he's too slick to get caught in an outright legislative lie, or maybe he thinks we rubes are too dumb to figure out that he's trying to slick us. Either way, a crude deceit is at the very heart of his Working Families Flexibility Act, which he recently slid through the House. It eliminates a central piece of America's middle-class framework, namely the eight-hour workday and 40-hour week. Under the 1938 Fair Labor Law, bosses can make hourly employees work extra, but only by paying an overtime wage for the added hours. Cantor claims his bill would improve this New Deal protection by letting corporate managers require extra hours on the job without overtime pay by offering comp time to the employees. In other words, work more hours now in exchange for taking off those same number of hours later on. With a wink at corporate lobbyists, Eric slyly refers to this switch as women-friendly, allowing working moms the flexibility to decide when to take time off. Therein lies the lie. It's not workers who get to decide, but bosses. Note that Cantor's bill does not guarantee employees the right to use the time off they would earn by giving up extra pay. They can use the comp time only if and when the employer says it's okay, which might be never. Also, even if employees are granted time off, bosses can require them to be on call during their free time. This is Jim Hightower saying Cantor's bill is a con. It hands workplace flexibility to corporations, not to moms, while also stealing the hard-won right of workers to be assured of an eight-hour day or extra pay. For more information, contact National Partnership for Women and Families at nationalpartnership.org. Should I run for president? Mother, should I trust the government? The conservative madness continues. So Fox News was talking about the Pew Research study, and they wanted to uh, share their opinions about women being the primary bre uh, breadwinners within the household. And of course, uh, he, Lou Dobbs had uh, some interesting things to say. Let's t take a listen to that. Something we don't usually do. And I, I want to turn to a, a study in, in the Pew Research uh, showing that women uh, have become the uh, the breadwinners in this country and a lot of other concerning and troubling statistics. This should be in large <laughs> letters on the front page of every newspaper in America because what we're seeing with four out of ten families now, the woman is the primary breadwinner. You're seeing the disintegration of marriage. You're seeing men who were hard hit by the economic recession in ways that women weren't. But you're seeing, I think, systemically, larger than the political stories that we follow every day, something going terribly wrong in American society, and it's hurting our children. And it's going to have impact for generations to come. That was their resident liberal on Fox Business. That's Juan he, Williams. He actually didn't say anything that crazy. Um, well, he talked about the disintegration of marriage. Which is true. Okay, I know, but... It, but he t framed it in the context of women being the primary 
breadwinners in 40% of the homes, which is the Pew study, and he said it is terrible, etc. I mean, I would have been a lot more clear about where I was going with it. And, uh, and obviously, Lou Dobbs in the beginning didn't miss any words. He just said, this is 40% of women being the bread, primary breadwinners. Troubling statistic. And by the way, he he compared that to, or I should say, he turned it into like this dangerous um, money-making pro-abortion cocktail. It was like the weirdest thing. Like we didn't, we don't have that part of the clip for you, but I just want to quickly uh, mention it because he was like, yeah, and then these women and their abortions, and it's like. His view of liberal women is like, yeah, we go to work during our lunch break, we go get a quick abortion, and then uh, we come back. <laughs> like, it's just incredible to me the way these guys think, and it's just, it's like a demented way of thinking. It goes to that same point yeah. of, God damn it, we can't control them anymore. Remember when we used to be able to tell them what to do? Now they're earning all this money, primary breadwinners, and troubling. Troubling. And you but notice another thing: if they have more kids, if they don't have, if they want a choice, whatever they want to do with their bodies, if I can knock her up, she's got to stay at home. Then she can't go make the money. Yeah. It's just it's another thing about keeping them in, in, in your in your in your in your one living room. Can't move. Barefoot, pregnant. It's like from 1960. Right. Well, the entire Fox News, Fox Business channels are from the 1960s or 1950s that's and by the way so is their audience yeah like that's when they were growing up is, is in that time period or were had become adults actually because the average age is near 70 for for these channels so now if you thought that was bad wait till you get a load of the rest of them yeah so here's eric erickson and uh, what he had to say was ridiculous Lou, I'm so used to liberals telling conservatives that they're anti-science, but I mean, th this is liberals who defend this and say it's not a bad thing are very anti-science. When you look at biology, look at the natural world, the roles of, of a, a male and a female in society and other animals, the, the male typically is the, the dominant role, the, the female it's not antithesis or it's not competing, it's a complementary role. We as people in a smart society have lost the ability to have complementary relationships uh, in nuclear families. And it's it's tearing us apart. And what I find interesting in the survey is that three quarters of the people surveyed recognize that having moms as the primary breadwinner is bad for kids and bad for marriage. And reality shows us that's the truth. Well, the it, politicians won't say it. That's what bothers right. me, Eric. Uh, okay. Oh, there comes a yeah. liberal again, yeah, by the so way. Crazy. <laughs> and I like how well women were represented on that panel. I know, not a single woman, which is amazing. By the way, before we get to the meat of the matter, I just want to make a quick uh, superficial comment about the fact that Eric Erickson doesn't move his face at all except for his lips when he talks. Oh, and it's super distracting. Can we just use that as B-roll for a quick second? Mm -hmm. Just focus on his face. Like, nothing moves. His cheeks don't move. His eyes don't move. It's almost like a cartoon. It's, it's just... It's like that Conan <laughs> skit with the lips. <laughs> It's amazing. But anyway, okay, let's right. talk about the substance. Okay, what I love is that he, th he calls smart, smart society. Yeah. He thinks he's being scientific. What an idiot. That's, you, you think that in the, in the natural world that, in, that males are dominant and, and in all the different animals? That's not true at all. And it depends on the species. It really does. And it depends on the animal. I mean, Amanda Marcotte wrote a really great piece on this. And she talks about, uh, you know, f uh, the foxes, right? Foxes actually are very egalitarian. And what happens is both the male and female foxes will go out there and they'll hunt for food for their children. So, so, so to say, like, no, this is how ma males and females were designed. I mean, 
it's funny because he's trying to make a point about how Republicans are not anti-science, and as he's saying that, he's being very anti-science. I believe the penguins, the male takes care yes. of the egg, and the female goes to get the food. Yes. Right, and you know the praying mantis, where the female bites the head off the male after sex. Pretty dominant woman there, okay? Yeah. I mean, and the funny thing is the smugness on his face. Like, oh, oh, I have studied science and concluded that my Neanderthal opinions are correct. Okay, this is not, and by the way, when you talk about monkeys and apes and, uh, that are the closest to us among the, the obviously that in the animal kingdom, oh, we're not, first of all, they live in communities, so it's totally different. It's not like, in some of the apes, the male is dominant and he has a harem, right? In other communities, it's wild sex, right? Chimpanzees are having sex nonstop. And, and, and you've got bonobos, and, and it's not the traditional, like, what, Judeo-Christian? The monkeys aren't Judeo-Christian! Okay, they, they're having straight sex, they're having gay sex, they're taking care of the kids together. Sometimes the woman gets the food, sometimes the guy gets the food, sometimes they rip each other's face off. Okay, you don't know anything about science. So please stop pretending. God, they're so stupid and they bathe in their stupidity. I know, they're proud of it. They're like boastful, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> the liberals don't like to be say the conservatives are anti-science. And I'm about to prove them right. How would you like to be able to read books and periodicals without the need for tree-killing paper, the actual ability to read, or having to pay a giant corporation for the pleasure? I sure would, but I don't think that exists. Two out of three ain't bad, though, because Audible, an Amazon company, is just such a giant corporation that can make these other wishes a reality. By signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash best, you'll receive a free audiobook of your choice, yours to keep even if you cancel within the 14-day free trial. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best to take something for nothing from a company who obviously didn't write the copy for this advertisement. A bunch of you sent me this next story, um, and apologies, it took me a while to get to it, but it's really outrageous, and again, shows um, another aspect of rape culture. Um, a jury in Bexford County, Texas, just acquitted Ezekiel Gilbert of charges that he murdered a 23-year-old Craigslist escort, agreeing that because he was attempting to retrieve the $150 he'd paid to Lenora Ivy Frago, who wouldn't have sex with him, his actions were justified. Because she is property. <laughs> Gilbert had admitted to shooting Frago in the neck on Christmas Eve 2009 when she accepted $150 from Gilbert and left his home without having sex with him. Frago, who was paralyzed by the shooting, died several months later. Gilbert's defense argued that the shooting wasn't meant to kill and that Gilbert's actions were justified because he believed that sex was included as part of the fee. Yeah. Texas law allows people to use deadly force to recover property during a nighttime theft. So, yeah, exactly as you said, Jamie. Like, the property in question 
was his one hundred fifty dollars. Oh right. And um, or but I mean, I guess you could look at it too as like that, the woman. I mean, that's how they're. That's what this verdict says. Yeah, is that she is a property uh, that was stolen, and essentially, um, it's arguing that he had the right to either rape her or when she stole from him. And it's not even stealing the money, stealing from him in the sense of not having sex with him. Um, you know, she stole the product of her own vagina. Right. Uh, he had the right to shoot her. Yeah. And that story was from Gawker, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and also, I'm pretty sure prostitution is illegal there. So not only are you siding with this guy for murdering a woman, but for... Like, she stole the $150 from him, sure, but he's also breaking the law. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's what I mean about this being a, another aspect of rape culture where, you know, this courtroom, this jury, heard the argument and said, yeah, the once the woman took the money, she had to have sex with this guy. Um, and because she chose not to, he had the right to execute her. To execute her. Um, and that is really... You know, astonishing that 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 many people could reach a consensus yeah, on that. Like, like maybe like prostitute steals one hundred fifty dollars from you. Maybe like small claims court. Maybe yeah, yeah. call the cops. Right. Um, um, but just because she is a sex worker doesn't mean she's not human. Like she didn't take a, the one hundred fifty dollars and stop being a human being. Um, this, but she was never seen as a human being. She was seen as something to fuck. And then she didn't do that. So then something to kill. Hillary Clinton has not announced that she's running for president in 2016 and hasn't launched a campaign yet either. But the Washington Post is already complaining that her non-existent campaign for an office she may or may not seek lacks a clear message. Clinton's gender would likely be a significant asset, wrote Chief Correspondent Dan Balls, adding, it, however, is not a message. One has to admire the first 44 presidents of the United States, each of whom somehow managed to achieve the office without the benefit of Hillary's asset. The next day, post-columnist Richard Cohen picked up on Balls' take that Clinton lacked a message, writing, quote, Clinton, as my post-colleague Dan Balls points out, needs a message. At the moment, her only one is that she is a woman, close quote. Notice how Cohen switches it up so you're not just reading the exact same article one day later. Now, being a woman is a message, just not a very good one. Becoming the first female president is a worthy goal, but it kind of falls into the category of miles traveled and countries visited, Cohen wrote, dismissing it as not a stirring trumpet call. Luckily, Cohen has a solution for Clinton. Quote, if she is to run for president at the age of 68, she must rediscover her youth, close quote. How's that? Quote, she has to revert to the brave and inspiring woman who was the first student to deliver the commencement address at Wellesley College, close quote.
So, first female president of the United States, meh. First student commencement speaker at Wellesley, now you're talking inspirational. Thank you, Richard Cohen, for this glimpse into the kind of campaign coverage we can look forward to for the next three years. I don't even think we've seen the worst. Sometimes think I could take on the world, but first, oh my God, my eyebrows need plucking, and oh my God, my legs need shaving, and my pores need cleansing, my skin needs toning, and my boobs need padding, and my hair needs combing, and oh my God, I know a girl who shaves her arms. She's got arms double. Oh, we're really in trouble. We've talked. I've talked. You guys haven't talked. This is the top of the show. You don't get to talk. I've talked at the top of the show uh, and during the show about Elliot Spitzer, the former disgraced. You always have to qualify Elliot Spitzer with disgrace. The disgraced former governor of New York State who got mixed up in a prostitution scandal. Hypocrisy was involved when he was state attorney general. He uh, went after prostitution rings and busted people, and then he was patronizing high-priced escorts himself. And that came out, and he had to resign uh, about a year into his governorship. And he's running for New York City comptroller now. This is part of his whole redemption thing. He had a show on CNN for a while. He had a show on Current for a while. He writes for a lot of different websites and blogs and newspapers. Elliot Spitzer has been redeemed. And of course, my buddy, Anthony Weiner, running for governor of New York. And I've talked about that a lot. I've talked about the fact that we don't want to set a standard that one dirty sext gets out there in the world, one or a couple or a few uh, stupid, ill-advised, dirty, dirty chats online forever disqualifies you from public life and you have to live in shame and never live your apartment ever again. Because if we set that as the standard, we are ruining the lives of all of our children. Because all of our children are sexing like mad. And we just don't want that to be the standard. Any more than we want the standard to be if you smoke pot once and it comes out and you get caught, you're ruined and you cannot have any sort of public life and you can't be elected to any public offices and you can't be trusted with children because everybody smoked pot and everybody now carries around a porn production studio in their pocket known as a phone and everybody communicates with their friends and lovers and tricks and acquaintances and people they want to fuck uh, via text, and that sometimes includes dirty, dirty pictures. So it's heartening to see how well Anthony Weiner is doing in the race in New York, although I'm not taking a position. I'm not endorsing Anthony Weiner. Um, Christine Quinn is also running for mayor of New York, uh, and she is, of course, a lesbian, and I am uh, obligated under the terms of the International Homosexual Conspiracy to not harm, if not, of course, help her race for the mayor's mansion in New York, however you say that. Uh, so I'm not taking a position, but I am heartened by how well Wiener is doing in New York and that he's facing this slut-shaming down. And yes, men can be slut-shamed, and indeed Wiener was. But Spitzer, Spitzer broke the law, just like David Vitter, senator from Louisiana. He broke the law, too. He was patronizing prostitutes. He was making calls to set up dates with escorts from Congress, from the floor of Congress when he was a representative, and that all came out when he was a senator, and he was the family values guy, right-wing conservative family values, anti-gay, because those gay people, they're attacking marriage, undermining the traditional family unit, like that traditional family unit that David Vitter trotted out in his campaign ads when he was running for Senate. And the family values conservative voters in Louisiana, southern state, reliably Republican red state, reelected the bastard, sent him back to the Senate. So he was redeemed post his 
prostitution scandal. And Spitzer is in the third or fourth act of his redemption. He's already been redeemed by CNN and by Current and by Slate and by MSNBC and everybody else, and now he is asking for the voters to redeem him by returning him to public office. And it looks like he could win that race, which would be, I think, good. Because I don't think sex work should be illegal. I think, as I've said before, that there should be a system set up to so that people can be certain that the sex workers they're patronizing aren't being exploited or abused or trafficked, and also a system set up so the sex workers can be sure that the clients they're seeing are not violent, dangerous assholes, that there needs to be a sex worker registry and a John registry that's online and unstigmatized, and we can bring this into the daylight and make sex work safer for everyone involved, particularly for the women who are the majority of the people out there doing sex work. Uh, I've been thinking about all this again today because there's a terrific and very pointed piece in New York Magazine by Melissa Petro. Melissa was a New York City school teacher, a teaching fellow, a really good one. She had a master's degree in education and she taught art and creative writing at a quote, struggling elementary school in the South Bronx, where we need people with master's degrees and a passion for teaching in the South Bronx, in every public school. But she wrote a piece for Huffington Post uh, a few years ago about having done some escorting, about having been a sex worker for four or five months, this brief period of time. And she wrote about it and was promptly fired. She was sent to the rubber room in New York, as it's called, where the New York City school system sends teachers they want to get rid of. Uh, she was shamed publicly by Mayor Michael Bloomberg and really driven out uh, of uh, of her career because of this, because she did sex work. And she has this terrific piece in New York Magazine called We Pardon Spitzer But Still Judge Former Sex Workers Like Me. Yes, it's true, Petro writes, I brought this scandal upon myself, but I could have never anticipated the fallout or that my candor would make me a victim in another way. Like Spitzer, I was put on a blast on the cover of the New York Post, then ridiculed in the national press, shamed by the city, including Michael Bloomberg himself. Ultimately, I was forced to resign from a career I loved. After I was fired, I couldn't pay my rent. Even now, freelance writing and the seminars I teach barely pay the bills. Because of the negative publicity, I lost the part-time jobs that had subsidized my teaching salary, and it would only get worse for me. Her piece goes on. You should read the whole thing. Go to nymag.com and look up Melissa Petro. We pardon Spitzer, but we still judge former sex workers like me. Please read the whole thing and marvel at the vicious, sexist double standard that Melissa Petro unpacks in one short and pointed essay. You know, whenever decent people talk about sex workers and their clients, when people who oppose decriminalizing sex work talk about sex work, Female sex workers are always portrayed as victims in need of rescue, and male clients are always portrayed as criminals in need of punishment. But it is always the male clients at the center of prostitution scandals, big public ones, guys like Spitzer and Senator David Vitter, who are welcomed back into public life and given second chances. Spitzer gets that show, Spitzer gets drawn for Comptroller, Vitter gets reelected by family values, voters in Louisiana. But the female sex workers who are outed or came out in the wake of scandals like Spitzer's and Vitter's are not given any second chances. They're ostracized. They're condemned. Vitter keeps his job. Spitzer gets new jobs. And the escorts they quote-unquote victimized are persecuted and punished for the rest of their lives. Such bullshit. We have to stop pretending that criminalizing and stigmatizing sex work is about protecting women if this is the way it's going to work. 
because it's about punishing women if this is the way it works. The proof is on the front page of the New York Times right now. Spitzer is winning that race. And Melissa Petro and those escorts that Spitzer patronized, they are losing. It's some sexist fucking bullshit. Go read Melissa Petro's piece, NewYorkMag.com. Best articles I've ever read uh, by Lindy West, who you can follow on Twitter, and you should all thank her for this article. She's getting a lot of shit for this, uh, which is ridiculous. It's at the Lindy, L-I-N-D-Y, West. Uh, and she wrote for Jezebel, and it's called Female Purity is Bullshit, right? And so I just assumed it was going to be a piece about purity and how it's bullshit, which I agree with. But I was wondering why people were like freaking out about it. So I, you know, because I had it up in my browser and I was going to get to it eventually, but I saw a ton of people freaking out about it. So it ties, it ties into what you were just saying. Um, so God, I don't even know where to start. Okay. Um, so this is what I assumed the piece was just going to be about. So she came across two things today. Uh, that she said hurt to read. The first was a dumb collection of dumb shit written by a dummy entitled Why Good Girls Have Become As Extinct As Unicorns. In it, an anonymous male author explains that modern women are disgusting sluts who deserve to be taken advantage of, so if you manage to find a, quote, good girl, ideally by grooming her from kindergarten onward, you should legally cleave cleave to her and imprison her in your bungalow before some other dude snatches up your prize. You can always cheat on her later when she gets boring, which is de- which she definitely will because she's not a person, she's just a vagina. That is the mindset of the 21st century, right? So I thought it was just going to kind of go after guys for wanting these pure virgins or whatever. But this is where it goes to another level. So Elizabeth Smart, you guys all remember Elizabeth Smart. Yes. She was the kidnapping and rape survivor. Uh, she actually spoke at John Hopkins Human Trafficking Forum yesterday, and here's what she said. Smart said she felt so dirty and so filthy after she was raped by her captor, and she understands why someone wouldn't run because of that alone. Because remember, the captor used to take her out in public, and right. people were like, why didn't she scream? Why right, didn't she right. run away? Again, victim blaming. Smart, Smart spoke at John Hopkins Human Trafficking Forum saying she was raised in a religious household and recalled a school teacher who spoke once about abstinence and compared sex to chewing gum. Quote, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm that chewed up piece of gum. Nobody rechews a piece of gum. You throw it away. And that's how easy it is to feel like you no longer have worth. You no longer have value, Smart said. Why would it even be worth screaming out? Why would it even make a difference if you are rescued? Your life still has no value. So that's huge. Yeah, that is huge. So that shows how not only are you shaming women, not only does it make women feel like they have to act a certain way to get a man um, and stuff like that. But it literally has to do with rape culture, with kidnapping, with when you have a girl who's been kidnapped for years and she is so afraid to scream out that it could rescue her. Yeah. But she's so worried about what slut shaming. Holy shit. A friend of mine's wife 
went to Catholic school and she was saying she has like vivid memories of one of the priests giving a lesson and talking like in a really admiring way about, I guess it was a story in the Bible of a woman who killed herself after being raped, Mm. but like in an admiring way saying like, Oh, that was the right thing to do because she was dirty from being raped. And like, she still has this memory. So yeah, religion is a, Religion really does a number on women. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also want to read this, you know, when it comes to guys. So not religion, but when it comes to guys, slut shaming, even liberal guys do this. Um, Lindy does an amazing kind of fake interview. So she goes, you can tell someone some, you can tell something is bullshit if all the justifications for it are bullshit. By the way, I highly recommend. I'm just poorly paraphrasing this article. Go read it and share it. It's so beautifully written. It made a lot of my friends cry. Jamie will send me the link and I will link to it in the episode recap. Yes. Um, okay, guys. So why do you feel like you want slash need slash deserve to settle down with a quote pure woman? I'm genuinely listening. Oh, it's because sluts are gross. Too vague. Do better. Well, their vaginas are real stretched out and big. No. Uh, they probably have a bunch of diseases. Easy fix. Setting aside the fact that plenty of women contract STDs from monogamous partners or during safe sex, it sounds like your real problem here is with illness, not sex. So I assume you'd be fine dating a promiscuous woman who practiced safe sex and happened to be STD-free? No, because I want a girl who's traditional and family-oriented. Having sex doesn't mean you don't want to have a family. It just means that you want to have sex. Yeah, but a slut is more likely to cheat on me. Really? Then why do couples in the Bible Belt have such a high divorce rate? The devil, I guess? Nope. I just can't stand the thought of her getting fucked by all those guys. So, you're about to have sex with a woman you're attracted to. You really want to have sex with her, but all you can think about is her getting pounded by tons and tons of dicks. That sounds like an entirely different issue. No, I just mean that I struggle with the same powerlessness and insecurity that all human beings do. So, as a coping mechanism, I take advantage of our culture's patriarchal power structure and exercise my feelings of worthlessness by by perpetuating shame-based propriety attitudes over women's bodies because I'm obsessed with controlling women's lives because I can't control my own. Oh, honey, I know. And that's perfect. Yeah, I I always, like, did assume that any guy who has a problem with, like, a partner who, you know, dated a lot of dudes before him, it's just a feeling of inadequacy. You know, like, oh, shit, she has a lot of guys to compare me to. Yeah, and and I think that's one of the reasons... You know, she points out that we catcall and that we're such scumbags where she writes, a catcall is entirely about reminding you that you are not yours. The purity myth is entirely about reminding you that you are not yours. The fetishization of female purity in a world where catcalls are an acceptable form of communication telegraphs one thing very clearly. Quote, women, stop sexualizing yourself. That's our job and you're taking all the fun out of it. Right. The sexualization of women is only appealing if it's non-consensual. Otherwise, it's, quote, sluttiness. And sluttiness is agency and agency is threatening and so therefore sluttiness must equal uh, disposability. So I just thought that was so fascinating where it's like if we say it, it's fine. If you say it, you're a slut and then we call you a slut. Right. You know, it's just this fucking lose-lose situation. And you see the lose-lose situation and stuff like even if you are so clearly the victim in the situation like these three poor girls who were held hostage for years and years where immediately people were like why weren't they screaming for help why were they like when they were outside why didn't they see the neighbors and scream for help and man there are so many psychological factors when people are held hostage there's stuff like stockholm syndrome there's stuff like being terrified of your captors that they're gonna fucking murder you well and um there 
there is what we talked about with this with this case in Ohio where it's like, and what about other people? How about other people stepping the fuck up? How about other people seeing things that are creepy as fuck and going to say something instead of being like, well, I'm going to let that guy deal with his business. Yeah, it's not complicated if you see, and I hate to quote the NYPD, but if you see something, say something. And then also, if you haven't seen something and a story like this comes out, don't blame the fucking victim. Yeah, I really want you guys to read this, but I I do want to read the end of this because it's so good. Um but there's so much more in it. And I highly recommend it. But for those of you who are not going to go read it, you, you should hear it. Our culture deliberately socializes women to be taken in. We condition girls explicitly, not even covertly, to believe that if they're not sexually attractive, they're nothing. They're garbage. They might as well not exist. We reinforce over and over that their attractiveness has an expiration date. So the only thing they can do is to desperately leverage that attractiveness while they can. If they resist that conditioning, we sexualize them against their will. And if they, and if they give into that conditioning, or worse, if they are raped by a predator, we reveal the trap. Now you're a slut. And it's your fault. Now you're tainted. Now you're worse than nothing. Now you might as well not even cry out when your rapist takes you to the gas station in a wig and sunglasses. So girls, fuck all of it. If you want to. Or don't fuck any of it. If you don't want to. Fuck women. Fuck men. Fuck no one. Point is, you get to fuck what you like, when you like. And your worth is not determined by some golden ratio of extreme boner tantalization versus minimal boner touching. Boners are not the boss of you. You are the boss of you. Hi, Jay. This is Emma. Regarding Nathan's call from Vancouver. Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver. About, you know, checking yourself in real time. What checklist do you go through in your head to make sure that you're not, like I said, unduly profiling someone due to race and things like that, rather than actual objective kind of criteria of their actual behavior? I think the key is accepting that you're going to screw up sometimes and having the humility to expect it and apologize for it. I'm a gay woman and the most considerate thing a person can do who has just made an assumption or a comment that made me uncomfortable is to call themselves out so I don't have to do it, so that I don't have to obsess about it alone and wonder whether I'm being oversensitive. It reassures me that you value my comfort as much as your own and that I think is the underlying threat of political correctness that it requires us to place the comfort of an underprivileged group as high as our own comfort or maybe higher for a few minutes (laughs) and most people will not demonstrate that they're willing to do that so basically and I think this applies to other types of privilege as well expect to slip allow it to be kind of humiliating for a few minutes and create a space for people of color gay people people with disabilities to speak freely about what just happened without the fear that it'll end your friendship. A true ally is someone who can handle that, not someone who never makes mistakes. Thanks, Jay. Love the show. Hi, Jay. This is Ike calling from Buffalo. I just wanted to respond to Wade and um, the way he was talking about single-payer health care as being the way to go. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard that from a conservative before, so maybe pigs can fly. Uh, of course it would be a better way to go. 
the administrative costs for the veterans and, and Medicare are under 4%, while traditional health care is over 15 and obviously the difference is a profit mo- motive. However, you have to look at the realities of, of when Obamacare was being discussed. We're still hemorrhaging jobs, tens of thousands every month, and um, I believe that they took single-payer off, off the discussion because what do you do with the 3 million people that are in the health care field? I mean, he would be politically fucked if he did that. They all lost their job. So, yeah, it's not perfect, but it is a stepping stone. Even with the watered-down version that, that we have now, it still barely squeaked through to become law. So we have to take it one step at a time. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or to relate your firsthand experience from a political event you've attended to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So first of all, the exciting news is that I've reached my goal for the Climate Ride uh, donations. I, I was seeking to raise $2,400, so I went just a little bit above, uh, beyond that. So I have a lot of people to thank, of course. I, I've already thanked plenty of people. People, and these are just those who have donated more recently and, and haven't been thanked on the show yet. So Timothy Hughes, Jack Thorworth, Susan Kiplinger, Nikki Luke, Aaron Rivera, who's actually a volunteer on the show, Leslie Behan, Robert Morgan, Dennis Wilson, Bruce McClinton, Stephen Holtzford, George Roos, James Basham, Anonymous, Michael O'Brien, Darren Carlson, Linda Scott, DB, Ed Chubin, Mara Harrell, who you all know is the voicemailer, Mara from Pittsburgh, the Sanchez Paint Shop, Michael Fitzgeorge, Linda Tomlinson, who I know as my mother, Yvonne Keith, who you know as the person who just called in with her story about living on the other side of the closet. Don't miss that in the previous episode, uh, the climate episode, and Julius Sinkovinchus. So huge thanks to everyone for donating, not just those who I, I just read, but everyone who I thanked in the past. Uh, you know, $2,400 is a huge amount of money. I think that uh, from what I hear from my listeners on occasion, I think that my show might be smaller than people think it is. And so, you know, raising $2,400 is no small feat. Uh, so huge thanks to everyone who chipped in. Uh, it's a, a big deal. I'm really excited about the climate ride. It's coming up in uh, about two and a half weeks. I'll be leaving for that, uh, which means three weeks from now, I'll have to miss an episode, unfortunately. But just as I was sitting down to record today, I had an idea and I thought, uh, okay, so the, you know, climate ride fundraiser is over. Now we all get to go back, uh, thankfully to me just begging for money for the show for, you know, to ask you to support the show. Uh, that's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. And, and this is the absolute fact about uh, the best of left membership program. For a really long time, there's been a very gradual decline in the total number of members, you know, get a member here, lose a couple there, get another, lose another. And it's been just real sort of like steady, but a steady downward uh, slope. And, you know, so because of the slowness of, of that slope, it hasn't been panic time. You know, I'm definitely not panicking, but 
you know, it's definitely something to, to be concerned about. And, uh, you know, hence the, all of the new uh, bonus material. I wanted to try to, you know, give people a reason to support the show beyond just, uh, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts. And so today I thought, why don't I try, you know, another, another little incentive program? You know, of course, the bonus content is going on as usual. I, I recently put out an episode uh, giving a few more details about my, uh, you know, healthcare related trip to the UK and the, the lessons learned there by going into a country that has a totally, you know, 100% socialized healthcare system and what that means for privatized healthcare and all that. So members have access to that show, bonus voicemails, those sorts of things. And so I thought, why not for members of the show to put out uh, daily updates from the climate ride? And so I, that's, you know, the logistics of that are beyond the scope of what I uh, normally tackle <laughs> making the show regularly. And, you know, but I thought if I can get 20 new, either, either new members or member upgrades before climate ride starts in two and a half weeks, then I will promise to, you know, record myself telling stories from the ride, giving my firsthand either, you know, account or reflections and, you know, thoughts on the movement or, you know, what, whatever comes to mind. I mean, who knows what happens when you ride a bike for 65 miles and, uh, all sorts of ideas could uh, pop to mind that I will have sort of forgotten by the time it's time to make a show again after I'm back. So uh, 20 new members or uh, or upgraded existing memberships, and I will promise to uh, send out dispatches from the road, from the climate ride. And, uh, you know, frankly, I, I, I hope it happens because I would be excited to see what came of that. But you know, make no mistake, it's definitely a little bit of, you know, work and effort that uh, I wouldn't otherwise be putting out. So if you've thought about supporting the show, thought about becoming a member uh, for a while, but just never got around to it, maybe now's a good time. All the details, of course, are at the membership tab at bestofleft.com. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, of course, to those who support the show. You know, as I've been saying, uh, members and donors are absolutely what makes the show possible. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. And stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained